Amen. Our last distinctive is called Ventures in Faith. Ventures in Faith. Our biblical text is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And it tells us, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Chuck Smith on this chapter, he says, It's always an exciting thing to give God a chance to work. God wants you to be a part of what he is doing. God doesn't want to stop working, so it's important for us to discover what he wants to do. I have found that the way we discover how God wants to work is to venture out in faith. We need to step out and see what the Lord might do. But as we step out in faith, there has to be a guard against presumption. A lot of people who test the waters to see what God might want to do make a serious mistake by falling back on human effort when God's hand is obviously not in it. Sometimes we can get so committed to something that our reputation seems to be on the line. Then we start pumping extra energy and extra effort into a program that was not of God to begin with. I've ventured out many times only to discover that God wasn't in it. What do you do then? You retreat. What gets us into trouble is when we proudly say, we're going to make this thing succeed. We find ourselves spending all of our energy trying to create something that God is not a part of. And it can just rip you up. When I step out in faith, if it succeeds, I rejoice and say, great, the Lord led me. If it doesn't succeed, I step back and say, I thought it was a good idea, but it sure fell on its nose. So I think there are certain precautions that one must take in any venture in faith. So again, it's incredible that Right, the founder of our movement, he's able to say he did a lot of great things and he also made a lot of great mistakes. There's a lot of times that he took a step of faith and God was in it. And there's also a lot of times when he took a step of faith and the Lord was not in it. I believe the Calvary Chapel distinctive here for us to look at is that we want to be a part of what God is doing. And the way we find out what God is doing is by taking ventures in faith. It takes the same amount of faith to take a step of faith into something new as it does to realize that God is not a part of something and shut it down. When we become more concerned with our own reputation than God's moving, dangerous things happen. When we try to force things, what we want and what we desire, instead of just getting a part and being a part of what God is doing, dangerous things happen. On many sailboats, at least today, there's little outboard motors attached to the back of those sailboats. What's the best way to ride a sailboat? Where are the sails? How do the sails get powered? By the wind. That's how a sailboat is really doing what it's meant to do. Can you ride it with that little five, mile, that five horsepower outboard engine? Of course. Is it going to take you 20 times as long to get to the destination? Of course, right? 
And oftentimes when we want to be a part of what God is doing, we have to be careful that we're not just forcing what we desire instead of just joining along and being a part of the ride, putting our sails out and letting God power us and propel us into what he wants to do. Our reputation is not more important than what God is doing. And our identity is not where we serve God. Those are two very dangerous things that happen to us. Our identity can quickly become, hey, this is how I serve God. So now if I'm not a senior pastor, who am I? And then I, become, I go into an identity crisis. It's funny how that only really works with certain ministries, not all ministries, right? There's very few people that say, my identity is being a parking lot minister. And if I'm not a parking lot minister, who in the world am I? There's not many people. My identity isn't cleaning the toilets at the church. And if I'm not cleaning the toilets at the church, who am I, right? It's usually not there. It's in places where we are out in public and people are seeing us working on behalf of the Lord. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 13. And here's an incredible biblical example of this. Are we getting behind what God is doing or are we trying to protect our own identity or trying to force what we want into what God is up to? 1 Samuel 13. First Samuel 13, verse 14. God tells the prophet Samuel, hey, this is what I'm up to. This is where I'm moving today. And then Samuel tells King Saul, hey, this is what God is up to today. First Samuel 13, verse 14. Samuel tells Saul, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So God is telling Samuel and Samuel is telling Saul what God told him. He's saying, hey, your kingdom, what you are trying to build is not going to continue. God instead is seeking for himself a man after his own heart. Now, Saul had a couple of choices here. One thing he could have done was surrender the kingdom he was building to the man that, if, that is after God's own heart. Another option Saul had was to humble himself and say, God, I want to be a man after your own heart. How can you change my life? How can you change my heart? Lord, I repent for being a man after my own heart, a man after my own identity, a man after my own desires, instead of just being a man after your own heart. Now you go to 1 Samuel 18 and notice how Jonathan, the heir to the throne, how he responds to what God is doing compared to Saul and how he responds to what God is doing. So 1 Samuel chapter 18. First Samuel chapter 18 verse 4. Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Jonathan, God tells him, hey, this is what I'm up to. Jonathan lays down all of his power, all of his rights, and he gives it up to the movement of God. 
God is working through David. He lowers all his goods. He gives all that he can to help David further do what God is doing. But now we look at 1 Samuel 18, verse 11 and 12. It tells us Saul, he, he gave David something all right, but it came at a lot faster of a speed. 1 Samuel 18, verse 11, Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Again, are we jumping behind the movement of God or are we just about our own kingdom in the movement of God? It happens to a lot of believers. God is doing something. God is working something. And there will be believers that just get in and jump into what God is doing. And then there will be other people that they try to sneak under what God is doing to just do what they want to do. It's dangerous territory. We can go to 1 Samuel 14, and here's another biblical illustration of a venture in faith. And it all begins with Jonathan's identity. Jonathan's identity was not wrapped up into his title of service unto God. He just wanted to be a part of what God was doing. Whether he was at the forefront of it or whether he could give his tools and his giftings to the man that was a part of what God is doing. 1 Samuel 14 verse 1. Now it happened one day that Jonathan the son of Saul said to the young man who bore his armor. Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Now what's Jonathan's identity here in verse 1? And his sonship, his identity is in his sonship. He is Jonathan, the son of Saul. And that's where our identity needs to be. Our identity needs to be in our sonship, that we are sons and daughters of God, not in our job description. I love 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. That's when we sit back and we should be blown away at the love of God and the power of God. Not that we should be called pastors of God, not that we should be called worship leaders of God, not that we should be called influencers of God. Nobody should be called that, right? Whatever the case may be, it's not in how we serve God, but it's in that we're saved and that we're sons and daughters of God to begin with. Again, Jonathan's identity was not wrapped up into his title of service. He just wanted to be a part of what God was doing. Chuck Smith's assistant pastor, his name is Romaine, he had this famous quote. He said, fail, just do not compromise. It's okay to take a step of faith and fail. It's not okay to take a step of faith and then begin to compromise to just continue to fuel what you desire God to do for you. Another incredible scripture on this, it's Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. I encourage you to turn there. Again, what is our identity? Where is our identity? Luke chapter 10.
Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the, subjects, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. The 70 disciples, what are they marveling in? They're marveling in the power that God gave them to serve God. They're marveling in the power and position that God had given them. And yet Jesus tells them, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in your sonship. Rejoice that your name is is written in heaven. When our identity is in our sonship, and when our identity is being a son or daughter of God, we hold this ministry with much more open hands. And we're much more excited at just God moving, whether we're a part of it or whether we're not. And each of us comes into the season when we're a part of what God is doing, God willing, and each of us will come to a season when we have to let go and hand the baton and say, okay, now it's your turn to be a part of what God is doing. Back to Jonathan and his venture in faith. 1 Samuel 14, verse 6. 1 Samuel 14, verse 6. Again, one easy thing to check out here in this venture in faith. Jonathan has a buddy, right? Jesus, he would always send the disciples two by two. So for us, you want to take a great venture in faith, you should have somebody else there with you. There's a lot of wisdom there. 1 Samuel 14, verse 6, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Again, Jonathan, he's saying, perhaps God wants to do something special today. He didn't say, I had a vision from God. He didn't say, I feel it in my bones, right? He said, we got goosebumps this morning. God has to be up to something. He literally just says, hey, it may be that the Lord will work for us. Jonathan, he's not focused on his gifting or his power. He doesn't wake up his armor bearer and says, hey, I'm way too gifted for these things to be happening. Instead, he just wakes up and all his dependence is upon the work of the Lord. He doesn't say, it may be that I will do something great today. He just says, it may be that the Lord will work for us. Perhaps God wants to do something special. And perhaps he wants to do something special through us. That's Jonathan's question that morning, and that should be our question every single morning. Why can't God work in your life tonight? Why can't God do something great in your life tomorrow or in this season? Is it our own fears? Is it because we are in sin? Is it because we're holding back? Is it because we're just glorying about the past? Are the cares of this world, the riches of this world, choking out the seed of faith within us? Why can't God do something great in you tonight, in this week, in this month? 
Is our God not at work in this world? Absolutely. And if people that were flawed and messed up, God did amazing things in them, why can't he do it in us? Right? What, what's your excuse for, not, for God not being able to work in your life? We were joking around in the pastor's meeting. God used Abraham, right? Had several wives. God used Jacob, several wives. All these families are jacked up in the Bible. And God is still able to use them. Well, look at the end. If you want to be used by God, what should we be looking for? Three things Jonathan saw and Jonathan knew. Jonathan saw a need. What are the needs that you see? What are the needs that you see? Jonathan, he knew God's power. And Jonathan knew that God uses people to display his power. And when you see a need, Jonathan saw a need. Jonathan didn't wake up and tap his armor bearer on the, soldier, on the, sh- on the shoulder and say, Hey, you know what? There's this great need. I think God wants you to go over there. See, as Christians, we're super good at that, right? I think that's my spiritual gift. All of us, we think that. We see a need, and instead of saying, okay, Lord, here's this need. Here's this situation at work. Here's this situation in my family. Here's this situation with my group of friends. Let me send that person over there to deal with it. Instead, we should follow Jonathan's example and say, Lord, I see this need. I know how you work. Lord, perhaps you want to use me to allow your power to flow through me to deal with this need. One commentator, he says, it was not Jonathan that was to work with some help from God. It was the Lord that was to work by Jonathan. And oftentimes we can think we are God's mighty man of the hour, right? God, just give me a little teeny bit of help and watch what I could do. It's the exact opposite that we need to be looking at and focused on. God, your power is so great and mighty. Lord, are you willing to use me? Are you willing to work in me? Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Let's be a part of the moving of God and the work of God. Let's not allow the cares of this world to choke out the mighty work that God wants to do today. There's nothing that can hold back the power of God except ourselves. Did you know that we can hold back the power of God? In Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, it tells us, Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Our unbelief can hold back the moving of God in our lives, in our families, or in our city. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it's a warning to all of us. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. When we stop having faith in God, when we stop believing that God can work and God can move, bad things happen. That's why even in our daily reading, we're going through Deuteronomy and we see the warning over and over and over again. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 12 tells us, Beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. 
Did God do miracles to bring the nation of Israel out of Egypt? Absolutely. But Israel, they lost complete faith in God. They saw the Red Sea ripped in two. They were following a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. They saw manna raining down from heaven. They saw the quail raining down from heaven. And yet they get to the promised land and they say, God, I don't know if you could do this. I don't know if you could do this. And they allowed fear to overtake them. Psalms 106 verse 21 says, They forgot God their Savior who had done great things in Egypt. Family, have you forgotten the great things God has done in your life? Have you forgotten how He saved you out of just trash and rubbish and sin and being in the world? Have you forgotten how He saved you? And now today you're saying, Ah, God, you, you, you really can't do that. Ah, God, you don't really want to use me. Take a step back and look at your life and be reminded at all the miracles God has done in your life. Don't allow unbelief and a lack of faith and fear to choke out what God wants to do in your life. Back to 1 Samuel 14 verse 7. So his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, very well, let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has delivered them into our hand and this will be a sign to us. Does Jonathan just presume that of course God has to work in him and through him because he's the son of the king or he's a, a skilled warrior? There's no presumption there. He says, we're going to put this little test out. He leaves an option. He says, okay, God, if they say this, then we stop and we don't move forward. But if they say this, then we know God wants to work. And when we take steps of faith, let's not just put our blinders on and say, hey, this has to work. This has to happen. We take small steps of faith, and when doors shut, leave them shut. It takes just as much faith to do that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. It's not we leapfrog by faith and not by sight. It's not that we run and we do the long jump by faith and not by sight. It's not that we swing across a ravine by faith and not by sight. It's a walk. And how do you walk? One step in front of the other. You see, sometimes people think that we need to take these huge radical steps of faith when our life is a walk. It's not a long jump. It's not the cartwheel of faith or anything like that, right? It's a walk. Little by little, take those steps of faith and see if God is really leading and if God wants to work and move in you. Chuck Smith says, we were taking baby steps and the Lord wanted us to take another giant step. You just keep going forward and as long as the Lord opens the door, just keep moving ahead. There is always a sense of daring in a step of faith. You dare to step out to see what the Lord might want to do. But again, if God isn't in it, we do not fight him. 
We don't press. We don't manipulate. We don't force things. If God is in it, it's going to go his way. It's going to go smoothly, and we're not going to have to make compromises. Let's see what God might want to do. Let's give God a chance to work. Let's step out. And we might have to risk a few dollars, but as the saying goes, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Again, there's going to have to be a risk involved. If not, it would not be faith. But take those small steps. If God is shutting the door, if it's not so smooth, take a step back. Say, Lord, is this you preventing me? Is this the enemy preventing me? And then wait and see what God wants to do. We've taken a few steps of faith here at the church. I remember in one season, we had a program called Dulos. And it was a summer program. And we would have the youth sleep at the church property. We would have three different hour teachings throughout the day. And they would work two, three-hour shifts uh, of just working and hard manual labor. And we did it for many years, me and Amanda. And then we had our eldest son, Levi. And he wasn't even a year yet. And I was like, of course we're going to do it together. I'm going to sleep with the guys in the guys' dorm, and she'll sleep in the girls' dorm. There was this huge walk-in closet in one of the old houses. I said, honey, she has a huge crown in heaven. Honey, you can sleep here in this walk-in closet with Levi, and everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. She's, again, God bless her heart, right? She t- we take the step of faith. After the first night, I see my wife. I'm all happy. She goes, I'm never doing this ever again. <laughs> so what did I say? Woman, submit. This is what we're doing. This is what God told us to do. No, I said, all right. This is, all of a sudden is getting a bit more difficult. My marriage is not worth this Dulos program or my wife staying here, right? So we continued to work the program, but it looked a little bit more different. So for us, we have to be careful that we're not just pressing in and saying, this has to work. I thought this is what God wants to do, and I have to force it. And I'm going to work all that I can to do it. You're being that sailboat with that five horsepower outboard trying to force your way to a destination instead of trusting in God and waiting upon the Lord. But it does. We need to have that heart of saying, I'm willing to take a chance. A.W. Tozer, he has this morning devotional that's called Tozer on Leadership. And this one devotional always pops in my mind throughout the year. And it's called Philip the Calculator. He takes it from John chapter 6 verse 7. And Philip answered Jesus saying, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. That every one of them may have a little. And he just reminds us that there's always that one person in the room just telling you how impossible it is for God to do something. How the numbers don't just add up. How this is just impossible. This work cannot be done. And they're giving you all the calculations of why it's not going to work instead of calculating in God and the work that God wants to do. It's the people that always see the problems, but they have not seen God. They have figured things out, but they have not figured God in. Again, it requires a step of faith. But that's why each of us, we need to have that own personal walk and relationship with God and say, God, what are you calling me to do? In 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3 and 4, 
The city is surrounded. They are starving. They are literally eating one another. There's no food. They're eating babies. It's a terrible season. And then in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3, it tells us that there's four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we will die there. And if we sit here, we will die also. Now therefore let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they, ki- if they kill us, we shall only die. These four lepers, they were starving to death. And they said, all right, guys, we have two options. Either we just die from starvation or we go to the enemy and maybe they let us survive and we get some free bread on top of it all, right? And when we take steps of faith... That's what we have to think. What's the worst that happens? We say, okay, God, this isn't what you had in mind. And we step back. We wait for the next thing for God to do. In 2 Chronicles chapter 14, we can turn there. And King Asa, he gives us a warning when it comes to taking steps of faith. Because our distinctive is not just that we're willing to take steps of faith. I think, I hope, I pray every church is saying, hey, we're willing to take steps of faith. But our distinctive is not only are we willing to take steps of faith, but we also see when the budget's not there or when God's not there that we're not just going to force it by our budget or by our power or by our own strength. We think of Zechariah, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit says the Lord of hosts. In 2 Chronicles 14, verse 7, uh, sorry, verse 9, it tells us, Then Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Marsha. So Asa went out against them, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephthath, at Marsa. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Asa says, God, this is your problem, this is your situation, and we need your power here. That's how our steps of faith, that's what they need to look like. Lord, here's the problem, here's the situation, and if your power does not go forward, Lord, I I don't want to take a step forward. I don't want to be moving. I want the, the wind, the breath of God in the sails of what I'm doing. Will we have to take a step of faith? Absolutely. But our God works by very natural means. Supernatural ways, but natural means. In chapter 15, God warns Asa. He saves them. He frees them from the two million people. Then in 2 Chronicles 15 verse 2, a warning goes to Asa. And it says, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Asa needed to wait and rely on the power of God, not his own strength, not his social media influence, right? 
not on his networking and connections. He needed to wait on the power of God. When he had nothing and he waited on the power of God, did God not work? Did God not save them? The danger happens when the bank account begins to grow, when there's more servants at the church, when you have your own place, when there's more power, more man-made power, you have a bigger engine, a bigger outboard on the sailboat, then you're tempted to try to do it in your own strength instead of the working of God. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, that's exactly what happens. 2 Chronicles 16 verse 1, it tells us, In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come into Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house, and he sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus. This man had two, uh, an army of millions in front of him. He waits and he prays, waits on the Lord, and the Lord saves them all. The next situation comes up and he says, you know what? I got enough money to make this happen. Let me do it in my own power and in my own strength. Verse 7, then it tells us, Hananiah the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars. Then Asa, does he repent? No, Asa, he's angry with the seer. He puts him in prison for he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. But story's not done, right? In verse 12, what happens? In the 39th year reign of Asa, Asa becomes distressed in his feet with his malady that was severe Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. But once again, what does he do? He seeks physicians. He ends up, he dies constantly seeking his own power and the power of men instead of waiting upon God. Chuck Smith, he says, what the prophet is saying is that God wants to work. God has a work that he desires to do. And God is simply looking for people who are in harmony with what he desires in order that he might show himself strong on their behalf. The key is to discover what it is that God wants to do. I've found the best way is by just stepping out. Try it out and see. Maybe God will work. Maybe God is wanting to work. Let's give him a chance. But again, always have the attitude. If it doesn't work, Let's not push it. Again, you take that step of faith, but if it's not working, then take a step back and wait. The other idea here that we should be focused on is, Lord, is my life in harmony with what you want to do? Is my life in harmony with what God wants to do? Let's turn to 2 Timothy Second Timothy chapter two. Verse 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Is our life in harmony with God? And the other question is, do you want to be used more by God? If maybe you're here tonight saying, God, I, I want you to use me. I want to be a part of what you're doing. Pay close attention to 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. It says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified. That means set apart and useful for the master, prepared, ready for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So if you and I desire to be used more and more by the Lord, what we should be doing is departing from iniquity. We should be fleeing youthful lusts. And then instead, we should be seeking righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. What we should be working on is our character. Is our character. God used David, and David was prepared to be king of Israel while he was tending his father's flock. And the way he was so faithful to the small flock of sheep in his father's house, that was the way he was going to be faithful with the sheep and with the flock of Israel. So if we desire to be used more and more by the Lord, if we're saying, Lord, I want my life to be at harmony with you, to be used by you, then let us flee youthful lusts, let us depart from iniquity, and let us cleanse ourselves. Let us constantly be going to the Word and allowing the Word to cleanse us so that we'd be a vessel of honor, ready and prepared to be used by God. A couple more ideas on this venture in faith. In Esther chapter 4, verse 10, Haman tells Esther, hey, you need to go in and you need to talk to the king. If not, we're all going to die. And she just tells Haman, she, not Haman, she tells Mordecai, Haman's the bad guy. She tells Mordecai, her uncle, hey, if I go in there and the king doesn't give me a thumbs up, I'm dead. I'm dead. Then Mordecai tells her in Esther chapter 4, verse 13, do you not think in your heart that you will escape the king's palace any more than all the other Jews? For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Again, you see a need. A need is right in front of you. Don't just start telling God all the reasons why you can't address the need. Esther was talking about her power and her might. She didn't take a step back and say, God, you're able to save by many or by few. Lord, what is the work that you want to do? And what Mordecai is warning her is God's work will not stop. God's work is not going to stop. The question is, do we want to ride the wave and be a part of what God is doing? 
Because if we don't want to, if we are unwilling to change, if we are unwilling to be that new wineskin, if we're not allowed, willing to be moldable and shaped into what God wants to do, he will move on and pick someone else. That's the warning to each and every one of us. If we are unwilling, if we are just rigid and want to stay in our same ways, God has to work like this. He's always worked like this. He'll move on and he'll pick the next person that's willing. His work will not stop. The question is, maybe he's called us for such a time as this. We see something similar to this in Acts chapter 5, verse 38. It says, And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it lest you even be found to fight against God. Again, do we here tonight say, Lord, I want to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, I want to be a part of what you're doing. The last part, again, repeating a lot of the same back and forth, taking a step of faith, waiting upon the Lord, keep taking a step of faith, and be willing to shut things down when God shuts things down. Chuck Smith, he says, several years ago, I went down to Texas to speak at a Southern Baptist church. The pastor said that they had decided that they weren't going to keep any program alive in the church by artificial means. In other words, they weren't going to put a ministry on life support to try to keep things alive that were dying. This is a mistake that the church has so frequently made. There is a time when God uses a particular kind of program, but then that time passes. Unfortunately, it becomes a tradition for people to try to keep alive. And they pump life support systems into it and they attempt to keep it going. With God's help, we learn to let things die a natural death instead of trying to keep things going by artificial means. It's always a sign of degeneration when you have to go back to the past and say what God has done. Rather than being able to say, look at what God's doing today. Instead of just hearing what God has done, it's important that we become a vital part of the work. We need to experience and to see the work of God for ourselves. Otherwise, it won't go on. Again, we need to be filled by the Spirit and say, God, how are you moving in my life? Where are you moving within our church? I want to be a part of that. And Lord, where are you not moving? If we pull back all of the human resources, would the work and the ministries keep going or would they die right there? Because they were dead 10 years ago. And that's one of the distinctions we talked about a long time ago. There are many churches and movements that are still moving, not because the church is alive, not because God is doing a work, but they just have so much property, they just have so much money, the wheels are already moving, and that's why it keeps on functioning. God, he's not working there. It's dead. It's been dead for a long time. We talked about the strange people that they get their pets and they take them to the taxidermist and, hey, look, Fido's still here with us, right? Everything's normal. Everything's okay. It's not normal. It's not okay. You can come up front for prayer if that's you, right? We need to be careful. We can do that within a church. This is what we do. This is what we're known for. We have to do this. This is what I know, what I'm known for. This is what I've always done. Got to take a step back and say, Lord, what are you doing? 
The other important thing for us, and oftentimes we can do it, is let us stop saying how God worked for us in the past or the work we once did for the Lord. Let's be men and women of faith today. Let's be able to tell someone, hey, I took a step of faith today in the grocery store and I gave this person an invite to church and man, look at what God did. I saw someone and I just asked them, hey, how's your day going? And look at what God did. Let's be men and women of faith today. He says, we need to make each succeeding generation a first generation as far as the experience of the work of God is concerned. In that way, it's being continued. But when we build a memorial and start saying, look at what God did and how God used this person. Look at how God has blessed that man. Be careful. When we build a monument to remind ourselves of what God has done in the past, that's always a sad day. Because we need to experience the work of God alive and fresh in our own lives. Is God's work fresh in your life? Are you just riding on old fumes, on old monuments? One last portion of scripture. Let's turn to Romans chapter 10. Worship team, you guys can come up front. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Maybe you're here tonight saying, man, I just don't have that type of faith. Or I want to, I want to be a part of what God is doing, but I'm just, I'm just too scared to be a part of it. Write down Romans 10, 17. Memorize it and then obey it. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you want more faith? you want to increase your faith? You need to be taking in a healthy dose of the Word of God. Just be reading the Word of God. And as you're reminded of God's work and God's miracles, that's going to grow your faith to say, God, why not me? Why not today? And take that small step of faith. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But at least you're open to the moving and the power of God. Is this the first property we looked at? No, we looked at a bunch of different properties. Did a lot of the doors close in our faces? Absolutely. But then God did it. For years we said, God, you're not doing it. You're not doing it. You're not doing it. But then he did it. So for each and every one of us, hey, are you willing to be used by God? Take that step of faith. Focus on the Lord. Don't allow the cares of the world, the money of the world, the influence of the world starve you out from not having that many treasures in heaven. So let's be those men and women that take ventures in faith. Maybe praying next week, God willing, we'll be looking at an overview of Deuteronomy. Read ahead. We'll look at an overview of Deuteronomy. And then we'll keep going verse by verse and chapter by chapter. But hey, let's all stand. We'll pray and we'll close in worship. Lord, we, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are still moving, Lord. We thank you that you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, some of us were saying, God, we believe, but help my unbelief, Lord. Lord, I believe you. I trust you. I know you can do great and mighty things, Lord. Well, Lord, perhaps someone's here and they've been hurt in the past, God, and they're still holding on to that, Lord. Uh, Lord, perhaps 
a new season has come and someone's not ready for that either, Lord. I pray, Lord, help each of us not to rejoice in what you've done in the past, not to rejoice in the power you've given us today, but, Lord, help us rejoice that our names are written in heaven, Lord. Help us rejoice that we get to come to you as sons and daughters, that now we can boldly approach the throne, Lord. Help us to rejoice in that. Help us to be excited in that, Lord. And, Lord, help us to be blown away. Help us to be grateful that you've picked us, Lord, that you've saved us, God. In spite of all of our sin, in spite of all of our weaknesses, Lord, you handpicked us to save us and to conform us to the image of your Son. Lord, help us to be men and women of faith. Lord, help us to be fueled by our gratitude for all that you've done for us, Lord, so that our faith would have works attached to it, Lord. I pray for each and every one of us. May none of our faith be dead because there's no works attached to it, Lord. May each of us just have such an abundance of gratitude and thanksgiving in what you have done for us, Lord, that there's so much work attached to it, Lord. Help us to be men and women of faith. Help us to be men and women that say, Lord, perhaps today you want to do something special. So, Lord, we just love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.